Hey everybody, thanks for joining us today. Waters Church exists to see people's lives changed in the name of Jesus. And if you'd like to be a part of that life change that happens here every week, both in person and online, you can partner with us financially. Just go to waterschurch.org give and select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us and we hope that you enjoy today's message. hundred baptisms in this building since we opened the doors. That's amazing. And we've had five this weekend, two more on the way at the end of this message. And uh, we've had about 370 people give their life to Jesus in this building. For the, oh, that's only since January 1st, actually, that 300 and something, 70 something people giving their life to Jesus. I mean, amazing. A lot of people giving their life to Jesus already to this weekend. And I'm just amazed at what God is doing here. And it's just exciting. It's really exciting to be a part of a life-giving, thriving church. So before we get to John chapter 4, I want to show you a little bit of what... Today is a, a perspective builder. Because the, the title of the message is this, we need to be here for the not yet here. We need to be here for the not yet here. That's the title of the message, and we'll get to John chapter 4 in just a minute. I want to show you a picture of the world. This is the world, in case you were unfamiliar. <laughs> If we zoom in a little bit closer, we can get to North America. This is where we live, North America. If we zoom in a little bit closer than that, we get to an area of North America called somebody? New England. I'm going to love New England, proud New Englanders. Woo, 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 woo. If we zoom in a little bit closer to our area, I have drawn a circle or put a circle there through Photoshop. And uh, that little green circle is uh, centered on the area of southeastern Massachusetts that is kind of centric to this church, the Milford location, and the Woonsocket location. And it's a 10-mile uh, radius there. That's a 10-mile radius. Okay, I think that's about the extent of any church's reach, about 10 miles. Now, in that, in that green circle is 400,000 people. 400,000 people that need Jesus. And as long as there's one person in that circle that is disconnected from their Father in heaven, how many know we got a job to do? 
This is why we're starting campuses. This is why we're sending people from here out to these towns. We had somebody from Woonsocket in the first service. They're so excited. They had no idea what we were talking about. They're so excited to go to the Woonsocket campus when it opens. That's fantastic. That's like their first weekend here, and then they're going to be in Woonsocket before we know it. We're doing this because people matter to God. We're raising money for these campuses because people matter to God. Hey, if you haven't given yet to the, to the First Fruits offering, please do so. Uh, we, we, we are asking everybody to participate here. Put your time, talents, and treasure into the kingdom of God. Um, we rely on all of you in generously giving to these campuses. It's going to happen by the grace of an amazing God and the power of the Holy Spirit but as long, I just, that's my heart. As long as there's one person, right, that needs Jesus, we got a job to do. And by the way, it's not one, it's hundreds of thousands that need Jesus. Come on. They need Jesus. There's only about 267 churches in that circle. And unless those churches all have 1,200 people coming to church every week, giving their life to Jesus, we got a big job to do. And this, most of the churches in America are less than 100 people. So there's a big job to do. Everybody worries about the size of the church. Man, the churches need to grow because a lot of people need Jesus. And so that's what this is about. As much as things are going so well for our church, you know, 100 baptisms in this building, you know, 300 and some odd, 70 some odd salvations since the first of the year in this building. I mean, amazing things are happening. New small group leaders, new people stepping up. And 70 of you uh, brought this back. 70 of you have already brought this packet back for serving at our church. Thank you so much. Now, we're going to connect with you and contact you about where to fill in these holes and where to be a part of reaching those who are not yet here. So make sure you're ready to respond. Please don't let this just be like an emotional response to the message where you're like, I'll do anything for God. And then you forget about it like two days later. Like give yourself to the kingdom of God. Put your hand in the plow. Don't look back. God's going to bless your life through the giving of yourself to other people. But we're so excited about all this happening, but there's still such a job to do. And so today is training, perspective and training on how to be people who are here for the not yet here. We're going to go to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at a well in a town called Sychar, in a region called Samaria. All those words and names really don't mean anything to you. Let me unpack it for you for a moment. See, John chapter 3, Jesus talks to a guy named Nicodemus. He was a religious guy, a religious ruler, an important religious figure of the day. That's where Jesus famously says, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus is a religious leader. He's like, I don't understand how a man can be born again. He goes, don't worry about it. I'll take care of that through the Holy Spirit. And then he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, love that word, right? Whosoever. Somebody say whosoever. whosoever. That whosoever should believe in him, who? In God's son. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. Powerful, powerful moment, powerful interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus Christ. The very next chapter of John, Jesus goes from this highly influential, respected, highly regarded religious leader named Nicodemus and goes to a town called Sychar in the region of Samaria to meet a woman who was the opposite extreme of the moral integrity spectrum. This woman has been married and divorced five times. On top of that, she's shacking up with some guy who's not her husband now. If you read the text a little bit deeper, the, the Greek 
pretends to teach us or show us that she's actually shacking up with someone else's husband. Exactly. If this woman showed up in our church, we'd be like, there she is. <laughs> Jesus goes, and the Bible opens up in chapter 4 with it saying that Jesus had need of going to Samaria. He needed to go to this woman. How many are glad that Jesus doesn't draw distinctions like the world draws distinctions? He'll go to anybody. He goes, he sits down by the well, and she comes out at 12 noon. That's high noon, when the sun is the hottest in the Palestinian area of Samaria. And she is drawing water, which you should not do when the sun is at the height of the sky. Because it's the hottest, and this is hard work. So it begs the question, why is she here? Why now? You should be doing this in the morning with all the other soccer moms. Oh, but that's exactly why she's coming at noon, isn't it? She doesn't want to see anybody. She doesn't want anybody to see her. They, she's heard the whispers. She's heard the gossip stories and sometimes even the fabricated lies about what she's really like. And so she wants anonymity. She doesn't want anybody to know where she's at. And there's Jesus. And he says, give me a drink. And she's shocked. She's like, what are you doing talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't do this. Jesus says this. Why don't you stop watching a 24-hour cable news network about who's to blame for all the problems in the world and talk to somebody who's different than you? No, that's not what he said. But that's for you people. He said, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him for living water and he would have given it to you. And she's like, well, sir, how are you going to draw this water? You don't have anything to draw with it, and, and the well is deep, and, and I don't know what you're talking about. He says, listen, the water that I give you will be inside of you, and it will bubble up over into eternal life. And if you drink the water that I got, you will never go thirsty again. And she's still thinking about physical water. She's like, I'm in. Sold. Give me some of this water so I never have to come to the stinking well at 12 noon every single day because all the people hate me in my town. And I will never have to embarrass myself and I can just hide away in my little sin cabin with the other woman's husband. I'll never have to do this again. And he's like, you're still not getting what I'm doing. Go call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. He goes, bingo. You've had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. And she... She responds so funny. She says, sir, I see that you are a prophet. (laughs) And she does the classic move for people who are not like religious uh, in conversation with people who are religious when the conversation gets uncomfortably religious. She's like, I've been wondering about like where should we worship? Like she gets into like this. This debate issue. I've heard you, you Jews want to worship in Jerusalem, but we like to worship over here on this mountain. And so what do you think? And Jesus is like, stop deflecting. The issue is not about where you worship, how you worship, with whom you worship. The issue is not whether you're Baptist, Pentecostal, Charismatic, or Catholic. The issue is not about what church you were brought up in or what kind of church or what kind of worship music you like. If you like Hillsong or Bethel or old-fashioned hymns, if you watch it on the screen or you read it in the book, it doesn't matter how you worship. All that matters is that you worship in spirit and in truth. I'll give you the spirit, and I am the truth. 
She says, all this stuff is so very complicated. (laughs) And I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll answer all these questions. And Jesus says, honey, you're looking at him. Honey's not in the Greek text. I put that one in. (laughs) Now, we've heard that preached many, many times. And we've heard the... I don't know if you have, but I have, and I've preached it before, that, that the physical water she was looking for was used metaphorically in Jesus' statements to her to teach her that all the love that she was looking for from a man could be met in the real man, the final man, Jesus Christ. And that if she would just give her life to him, if she would open her heart to what he has to offer, she would never have to go searching for the love of another person to satisfy her needs because her truest, deepest, richest need was already met in the God who created her, formed her, loved her, and died for her. And so we've heard that, but there's more to the story. Like I want you to hear it. And that's where we pick it up in the text. Would you stand with me in John chapter 4, verse 27? Jesus just saying to her, I am the one you're waiting for. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? How many are glad that the disciples are finally catching on? Don't ask Jesus questions. Not a good idea. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food that you do not know about. And the disciples were like, who brought him food? He says, no, 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 no. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, do you not say that there are four months and then the harvest? He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the field is white for harvest. Already, in other words, right now, the one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Back to the Samaritan woman now. Look what it says, verse verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. And many more believed in him because of his word. How many know that more exposure to Jesus is a good thing for people's faith? They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we believe that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that the Spirit of God will minister in this moment. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Help us in this moment, to see Jesus and him only. In his mighty name we, say, we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. This is a, an amazing account of what happens after this woman has this encounter with Jesus. And I'm challenging you through her story to be here for the not yet here. In other words, 
As long as there's one person, one of those 400,000 people in that 10-mile radius of our church or wherever you may move to or end up living, as long as there's one person in these Jesus, there's a job for the church that bears the name of Jesus to do. We got to go get them. We got to go get them and bring them back to God. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is not just going to church. Christianity is not just going through religious motions. Christianity is not just getting baptized or confirmed or being a member on some church role. Christianity is mission. It's going into all the world and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to every creature. And when that final name is written in the Lamb's book of life, Jesus is coming back. That's all he's waiting for, that last member of the family to come on in. And the sky is going to be peeled back, and every eye will see him, and every tongue will confess him, and every knee will bow before him. He is Lord of lords. He is King of kings, this Jesus whom God sent to be the Savior of the world. Now, I know what some of you think. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I have issues with sharing my faith with people. I get tongue-tied. I get caught up in issues that don't matter. They make me angry when they debate me about serious stuff going on in the world. And I don't want to mess up. And I don't want to say something that will make people not want to be a Christian. And I hear you. Some of you got serious concerns about all that. I want to make it easy for you. Because this woman teaches us how to do it. When you don't have a great reputation and you hardly know anything about the faith, you too can be used to bring people to God. In fact, that's the first thing I want you to write down in your notes. First thing I want you to write down in your notes is this. Absolutely anyone can be used by God to bring people to God. Absolutely anyone. That includes you. I mean, if this woman could do it, you could do it. She went to her town, told them about Jesus, and the whole town comes out, and most of them start putting their faith in Jesus. Uh, we preachers like to call that a good old-fashioned revival. Hallelujah. <laughs> Five things you need that she teaches us to be the kind of person that brings people back to God. Number one, I need, if you're taking notes, write it down. I need a life-altering encounter with Jesus. That's, that's, that's easy. Like, I, just open your heart to him. He'll change your life. I mean, have you had that life-altering encounter with Jesus? Has he become the, the main priority of your life? Like you know that, that something has happened in your life when it comes to Jesus when he's no longer a cute addition to the life you're trying to build, but no, now he is the life you want. There's, that's, that's an encounter with Jesus. He's no longer a side item to your buffet of human existence. He's now the main event. He's everything to you. And, and this is a life encounter she has. She has a life-altering encounter. We know her life is altered because John gives us a little qualifier of what happens when she goes back into her town. Look at it. Verse 28, it says this. So the woman left her water jar. Why do you go to a well to get water? What do you bring to the well to get the water? A water jar. Would you ever leave the water jar at the well without bringing any water back? That's not normal. That's not typical. See, what's happened to her, she's had a life-altering encounter now. She's met the living water. Suddenly now this temporary water doesn't seem as important as it used to be. 
Can I ask you a question? What was in your water jar? What's in your water jar? Because here's what we do as Americans. We try to fill up our emptiness with all kinds of things. We think, surely this will make me happy. Surely that will satisfy me. And if you're not a Christian, this is the game that you're going to play until the day that you die. I need something to make me happy. I need something to fill this void. And we'll fill it with almost anything. Heck, we'll just take money and we'll make money the issue. We'll just try to fill that jar up with as much money as I can make. Come on, show me the Benjamins. I need it. This will make me happy. I know just a little bit more. That's all I need, Lord. Maybe it's accomplishments. Maybe it's awards. Maybe it's recognition. And we'll just try to get that promotion, get that job title, get that degree so that nobody has to judge us anymore at Thanksgiving dinners. Hallelujah. I finally mean something. Maybe if we're not one of those kind of people, we like to have fun. Some of us like to have fun. So we just stick some fun in there. And I'm all for a good beer once in a while, but some of you make it all about the beer. Um, maybe some of you is like, I just can't miss my show. I can't. I love it. I have to be there. I will cross heaven and earth to make sure I see the latest episode of the show. So, like, that's what we're trying to fill our life with, make sure that we're happy, satisfied, and fulfilled. And, and then some of us, it's not those things. It's, it's a boyfriend. Or a girlfriend. <laughs> and then, of course, once we have these things going for us and we've kind of filled our little water jar with all the things that we... Get in there, Barbie. And all these things that we think... <laughs> She's frisky. <laughs> and all the things that we think <laughs> that'll make us happy. Then we got to, of course, we've got we've to snap it. We've got to post it. We've got to Facebook it so that we can convince all the other people in our lives that we are having fun. And maybe we're a little bit more depressed than we thought, so we need to just top it all off, our little cocktail of culture into our lives to make ourselves happy. And, and we just add it all up. We just add it all up. And then, of course, that's not the end, right? This beer is going everywhere. That's not the end. Now we got to snap it. Look... Look at my life. My life is so cool. My life is so much better than yours. Look, see, look, see, look, see. Look, see. Yes. Share. On Instagram. Hope you people don't mind. You're in the background. Like it, like it, so that I feel like I matter, so that I feel like I matter. And all we're doing again here is filling up another empty jar. Here's how you know when Jesus has gotten a hold of your life, when you've had that life-altering encounter with Jesus Christ, you can take the jar and you can leave it behind. That's not what I'm looking for anymore. I found the real thing. I found the Holy One. I found my Father. I'm reconnected with my Creator. I no longer need to fill up the void. Leave the water. That's how you know. That's how you know you've met Christ. You have not met Christ because you come to church. You have not met Christ because you were born a Catholic. You have not met Christ because your parents went to church and brought you to church and dragged you kicking and screaming to church. You have met Christ when Jesus Christ is everything in your life. And if you lose everything else, he's still enough to bring you through whatever it is the devil throws at you. That's how you know. 
That's how you know Jesus has changed your life. And if you've had that experience, you have got something to share. Number two, I need not have all the answers. Could we get a towel out here so I can wipe up some of this beer? I need not have things you never hear a preacher say. I, I, never, I need not have all the answers. This, thank you so much, Amy. This is where some of you are going to get real help. She doesn't have all the answers either, does she? When, when she decides that she's going to share her testimony, she doesn't get into a theological discussion with anybody. She, she doesn't argue predestination, human will, God's sovereignty. She doesn't argue pre-trip, post-trip, a-trip, amillennial, post-millennial, post-millennial, pre-millennial. She doesn't worry about the theological presupposition of her propitiation, justification, ontological sanctification of her ultimate regeneration through the work of Jesus Christ in her life. She's not all about, what does she say? Look at it, verse 29, this is all she does. Come see. Whoa. <laughs> Come see a man that changed my life. Now let me just do a little pop quiz for you, everybody. Can you say, oh, you're still wiping up over here? Fantastic. Can you say, come see? Let's, let's see if you can say, come see. One, two, three. Come you got it? That's it. Like, that's all you need to do for people. Come see what's going on in my church. Like, you bring them, God will touch them. It's really a simple formula. It's really, like, just invite Invite them on Facebook, invite them on Twitter, invite them somewhere. Tell them, brag about your church on Facebook. There you go. There you go. Tell them how awesome your life is because of church. Hallelujah. This is so simple. You do not have to argue social issues. You do not have to argue about the news. You do not have to argue about politics. You do not have to argue about all the things that people try to get into. In fact, if they start arguing with you about those things, and they want, because that happens. They get you into arguments. They want to get you into conflict. And I found in my event, in my course of life, I have found that the ones who love to argue are the ones who used to be Christians. And Jesus says something about that. Wipe the dust off your feet and move on. And don't worry about them. God will take care of them. You go to the ground that is been fertilized. You go to the ground that God is working on right now because every day in your life you meet people and something has happened and God has started to twist the areas of their lives into this uncomfortable state where they're starting to get open to coming to church for the first time, maybe in decades, and you're there at just the right moment to give them the invitation that could change their life. Come see. Come see. And they come. Many in the town were coming to him. And it goes on and it says that the disciples, meanwhile, of the meanwhile here, because as all these people are coming to Jesus, verse 31 says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. How many see what's happening? People are turning to Jesus and the disciples are like, hey man, aren't you hungry? Like they're worried about Jesus' physical nourishment and Jesus is reaching this entire town. And I think about how in this 
pericope in John's gospel, we have the woman with the bad reputation and the terrible character and the zero theological knowledge doing more to reach people far from God than the disciples who have been walking with Jesus for the longest time. Can I, can I say something that might just be a little bit tough for some longtime Christians because it's true. But I just want to put it up on the screen. No place to put it in your nose because I didn't want you to feel bad, too bad after church today. But here's what I wanted to say. It's typically those who have yet to be institutionalized by the church who are the most effective for Jesus Christ. Let me say something to the newest members of Water Church, the newest believers, the newest baptism candidates. You are like our all-star rookie members of the team. You're so excited about what God has done. God is still doing it in your life. You're so on fire. You, so, you don't have to be asked to do this. You just do this naturally. It comes out of you. I love what happened at my church. You should come to my church. You bug everybody. They don't even want to talk to you anymore because you can't stop talking about Jesus. You are perfect for the work of God. Don't let anybody tell you to calm down. Don't let anybody tell you to knock it off. Don't let anybody try to train you into being a casual Christian. You stay lit up for the cause of Jesus. We want you to do it. Nothing's more exciting to me than, than new believers sharing their newfound faith. And so for all the new believers in the house, please don't listen to the lies of Satan that tell you you need more education. You need to know the Bible more. You need to try harder to pray more. Don't listen to that nonsense. You just open your mouth and tell people what Jesus has done for you. Number three, I need to serve my deepest longing. I need to serve my, deep, my deepest longing is to partner with God in what he's doing. Because Jesus kind of illustrates this through his own life for us. Because look at, look at this. We've got to unpack this for a moment. Look at this at verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, eat. And he said to them, I got food. <laughs> he hasn't physically eaten anything. I got food. You don't know about this food yet. They said, whoa. You mean to tell me that we just wasted $5 on these chicken nuggets, Jesus? Yes. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food. In other words, my deepest satisfaction is to do what God wants me to do. And what God wants me to do is bring others back to him. Now, you find satisfaction in Jesus when you first come to Jesus. But there's a deeper satisfaction in your heart that won't be met until you become part of the process through which God starts bringing people back to himself. That's what Jesus is illustrating for us here. This is my food. I live for this. When I have this, I'm satisfied. In fact, I want you to write down in your notes. Here's, here's what Jesus would say. Helping others find him is where Jesus found his truest satisfaction. His truest satisfaction was not in the accolades of people. Jesus knew that people can love you one day and hate you the next his truest satisfaction was not in the pleasures of this world. Jesus knew that the pleasures of this world, as enjoyable as they may be in the moment, ultimately can end up making us regret that we were pleasured by them in the first place or ultimately just leave us more emptier than we ever were before. Jesus' truest satisfaction was in knowing and seeing and loving and working to help people come back to himself. Are you getting fed? Are you getting fed on that, on that, does it feed you to be part of this movement that has been moving for 2017 years, bringing people back to God? I, I get fed while I'm feeding you. I don't know if you know this. When I'm preaching to you, I feel filled up myself. I, I love what I do. I love letting people know 
about, it feeds me to let people know about Christ. Amen. Every once in a while we'll get people going through our growth track class and they'll ask us this question. And these are usually longtime Christians, institutionalized. And if you're one of them, pay attention closely. <laughs> and they'll say, Pastor, I get it. Pa I get it. I get it. Waters Church is here for people far from God. I get it. We're here to reach. I get it. But what about us? How do we mature Christians get fed? And I always want to strangle these. I always want to ask these people. <laughs> Have you read the Bible? Have you seen how Jesus modeled getting fed when you've been there a long time? Nobody was more biblically literate than Jesus. He wasn't looking for more biblical literacy. He was looking to make other people more aware of God's love for them. That's how he fed himself. And it just kind of makes sense to me that if you want to be, if you want to claim to be close to Jesus, you should be like Jesus. Feed yourself by helping others find him. The scriptures teaches this in Proverbs eleven twenty five. The scriptures say the generous will prosper. What do generous people do? They give. They don't take. They don't look, what's in it for me? Who's helping me? No, they don't. They look to bless other people. And God says, I see it, and I'm blessing you back. Those who refresh others will themselves be, what's the word, everybody? Refresh. Some of you are like, I'm thirsty. I need new work of God in my life. I need the Holy Spirit to do it. I remember when I first got saved. I felt like the Holy Spirit was always there. Now I don't know where to get involved. Like the Holy Spirit is not going to come swoop you off of your lazy boy. You know where the Holy Spirit is? He's on the front lines of the gospel going to the people who are in need of hearing about Jesus for the very first time. That's where he is. Get with what he's doing. Don't expect him to come and bless what you want to do. Number four, number four, almost finally. Number four, I need to get in on what God is already doing. I need to get in on what God is already doing. Because he's up to something big. I know you're filled with bad news out there. But I want to tell you so there's some good news out there too. The World Missions Board that monitors the growth of Christianity worldwide has discovered that more people have converted to Christ in the first 17 years of this century than all 2,000 years of Christian history before. God is on the move, friends. Do you understand that nations like Indonesia, which Indonesia, the most populated Muslim country in the world, is seeing Millions of Muslims convert to Christianity. And, and they actually have this program in their government to re-convert re the Christian converts back to Israel. They don't know what to do. They're, they're frustrated because their young people are flocking to Jesus. You know, in, in Finland, I didn't even know people still lived in Finland. The refugees from the Syrian crisis who are Muslim are coming to Christ in record numbers. The National Church of Finland is the Lutheran Church. There's a branch of the Lutheran Church that's the National Church of Finland. It's called the Evangelical Lutheran Church. 
They're the kinds of churches that want to win people. Well, they're winning Muslims like crazy. About 700 a week are converting to Christ in these Lutheran evangelical churches. They're running out of ministers. They're running out of help. They need more people to step up and serve the great influx of conversions from Islam to Jesus Christ. God is on the move. Not just Indonesia, but in Brazil and India and in, in um, China. China is on pace right now to be the largest Christian population in one single nation by the year 2035. Someday soon, China will be sending missionaries back to America because we lost our minds. What I'm telling you is that God is on the move. He has been doing something. He is doing it now. I believe Jesus is going quicker than ever before because he's coming closer than ever before. The, do the day is now. Jesus tells the disciples. Jesus tells the disciples, don't you talk about how the harvest is four months away. He says, stop that. The harvest is now. Every single week at Waters Church, people are coming to Christ. Every single week, people are almost every single month, people are getting baptized, committing their life to Jesus. God is on the move. And there's thousands of churches just like ours that don't worry about titles, that don't worry about denominationalism, that don't worry about little theological distinctions on which we can divide, but worry about reaching out to the people who are far from God. Thousands of churches just like ours across this United States reaching people, stepping into the messes and telling people there's a better way to live and his name is Jesus Christ. We're part of that. We're part of that. And here's what Jesus is telling the disciples. Look at the fields. They're white. They're white on the harvest. We have a statement in our office area. It says this on the wall. It says, every weekend is someone's first weekend at Waters Church. And you, got, you never know like who's, who's coming who just got the divorce papers. Who's coming who just got back from the doctor visit. It's cancer. It's stage four. Who's coming whose kid is ill with something they don't know what to do about it. Who's sitting next to you, behind you, right now, and this is a holy moment for their life. The harvest is white, Jesus said. And I don't want to miss out on it. I don't know about you, I don't want to miss out on it. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving his wage. In other words, they're already working. They're already working. I, I, I don't want to get to heaven. And be ashamed when I meet one of these Christians from one of these Muslim countries. I don't want to. And it's like millions of Christians from, country, from, from the United States who have checked out on church and walked away because somebody upset them or somebody did something they didn't like or the pastor took the church in a different direction. They didn't want to do that. So they decided to just stay home and do nothing. And I want to be there. I want to be a fly on the wall in heaven when that deadbeat Christian meets that Christian from a Muslim country in heaven. And that Muslim says, yeah, they killed my family, they slaughtered my children, they killed my wife, and then they killed me because we wouldn't reconvert back to Islam. What was your problem? <laughs> well, they changed the music at my church. <laughs> This is good preaching right now. I know it's good preaching because you're very quiet right now. It's good preaching right now. Like, get, like, let's not let the small stuff stop us from the main event. And finally, number five. 
I need only be someone's nudge. So we've been talking big picture, big picture, big, I know, big picture. It's hard to bring somebody from far from God to Christ. You don't need to do the whole job. You just need to be a nudge. Let me read the rest of the passage. I want to unpack it because it sounds rude what the people say to this woman, but it actually illustrates for us what I'm talking about right here. Stay with me. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and many believed because of his word. And then they said to the woman, this sounds rude, this sounds rude. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard ourselves. And now we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. It sounds rude, but it's actually not. It's, what they're kind of implying is you were the nudge. You know, a lot of people in your office, school, family, they might be a negative 10 when it comes to Jesus. And you just invite them one weekend, and you invite them, another, or you love them, or you bless them, or you do something kind for them out of the ordinary because you're a follower of Jesus and you just might be the nudge from negative 10 to negative 9. Or maybe from negative 4 to negative 3. Or negative 1 to 0 and they show up and I yell at them for 45 minutes and they give their life to Jesus. <laughs> like, we're in this together. Hey, when it comes to being a Christian, you can either be someone's nudge or you can be a big fat smudge. We got enough smudges. Amen. What I mean by that is the people who just smudge the name of Jesus and people see their life and they see how they are. They don't want anything to do with it. You can be a nudge. And let God use you in the process. Hey, I got radically changed by Jesus at a youth camp in New Hampshire in 1991. God got a hold of my life in such a way I've never been the same since. Life-altering encounter. To the point that I'm standing up here before you today preaching the word of God. And here's how I know that every single one of you can be a nudge for someone else. Do you know why? Because the person that invited me to that youth camp, you might not know this, is a member of this church. He's been coming ever since we started. His name is Dale. And I thank God for that day that he asked me to come. That nudge was one of the processes in which my life was changed by Jesus Christ.